0: Of course, like every other teenage kid, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. When I was 16 years old, I took off and drove across the country to Wyoming, went into the Wind River Range, and discovered mountains. In 1973, Yvonne Chouinard founded Patagonia. I never wanted to be a businessman. All I wanted to do was do my craft and climb mountains. So then I had to figure out a way where I was going to be a businessman, but I was going to do it completely on my own terms. Build the best product. Cause no unnecessary harm. Inspire and implement solutions to the environmental crisis. Join us at Patagonia.com. Welcome to the Dirtbag Diaries, a duct tape and beer production. With
1: additional support from New Belgium Brewing, Kuat Racks, and Chaco.
0: I know I say this every year, but it's probably because it gets more true every single year. We look forward to our live from Five Point at the Five Point Film Festival so much. It is just this moment in our year where it's like it feels like something beginning and something is ending and it's just this incredible wrap up for not just me but, but our whole entire team that works on the Diaries and at Duct Tape Them Beer. It, it's incredible and I wish more people could be there because this is, it's, it's a really unique thing. Not just, not just the live from five, not just the Dirtbag Diaries event, but, but the whole festival. It just seems like this incredible gathering of people. It's very intimate. And we always want to share what we've done there because we want to give you a little glimpse inside of Steve's guitars. This is an incredible room. It's filled with hundreds of guitars hanging from every single inch of wall space, hanging from the ceilings. I want to set the scene for you so that you understand what it's like. And there are literally about 50 to 70 people, I, I don't even, I'm not even sure, jammed in there. Every seat is taken. People are standing there, they're shoulder to shoulder. And it's this—it's this sort of moment where we get to have these conversations on stage, and you know, I ask the questions, and 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 our guests answer them, but the crowd starts participating, and it's just this wonderful conversation. And we want to share it with you. Uh, In the past, we've done two episodes. This year, we're just going to do one. We are very excited about it, though. A big thanks to the Five Point Crew and Patagonia for making this happen. It is such a cool feeling to sit in front of an overflowing house and share stories. So. Without further ado, we present our show from this year, 2014, Rivers and Dams. From the award-winning Damnation to the premiere of Nobody's River, water seemed to be the talk of Five Point this year. Today, you'll hear stories from Amber Valenti about paddling one of the few remaining free-flowing rivers in the world, and Katie Lee, actress-turned-activist after the flooding of Glen Canyon in 1963. We were overdue in having women on stage, so to have these two women, these two firecrackers, these two incredible women talking about their love for Rivers was awesome. Katie is 94 years old, but don't let that fool you. She is a complete firecracker. We've only lightly edited the pieces so that they maintain the feel of the event. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll join us there next year. Welcome to Live From Five at the Five Point Film Festival. I'm Fitz Cahal. And you're listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. In the summer of 2013, Amber had an incredible opportunity to kayak on one of the last great free flowing rivers in the world. She traveled to Mongolia and then into Russia with three other women, Crystal. Becca and Sabra to paddle sections of the Amwar River. It was an expedition years in the making and several weeks of travel just to make it to the headwaters. But the allure of this type of river was clear. Amber picks it up from here.
1: All of us conceivably grew up in a country where you can't find a free-flowing river that's much more than 50 to 100 miles. The longest one I had ever paddled before this was 25 miles long. Um, All of our big rivers have 30, 40 dams on them. Um, And so this opportunity, you know, it seemed amazing, but we had to go really, really far to find it. And when I started looking around at the different free-flowing rivers in the world, um, the Amur, which is the main stem of the river that we went to, uh, really struck me because it's just super wild. It's incredibly biodiverse, and nobody's heard of it. Maybe a couple of people who geek out on fish have heard of it, or you know, a few people who really know their geography. But other than that, even a lot of the people I know in the water world had never heard of it, which made me all the more interested in it. So we flew over to Mongolia last was it um, May, last May, and just started working our way into the headwaters. And that alone took us a couple of weeks just to get to the source of it. Um, and when we got there, uh, it was, definitely the most awe-inspiring place I've ever been. There, it felt like humanity had never existed. And you know, you can find that in a lot of places in the world that are really extreme, like the Arctic or out in the middle of the ocean. But to find a place that wild, where it felt it felt like home. I grew up in Idaho and it looks a lot like Idaho, but everything was just pristine. It was, it gives me chills even talking about it. Um, and, and so we paddled, through this perfectly untouched river and landscape. And for me, that will, I'm sure, continue to be one of the most precious experiences of my life. Um, And to know that my children may never get to see free-flowing rivers, but that I got to document one while they were still here. And so for us, that was an incredibly special experience. Um, And then we actually got on a train after we paddled a month through pristine Mongolia, and that was a whole other wild experience. We took the Trans-Siberian through Russia. Um, We had to navigate through some political issues um, to even continue paddling. And then we paddled through a portion of the river in Russia, which was the polar opposite. It was just so burly. It was like, you know, there's like type two fun. It felt like type three fun. It was just everything about it was hard and miserable and terrifying. But. It was also so wild. It's this huge river that's like three kilometers wide, five kilometers wide in places, which I couldn't even fathom. And the water levels can rise meters overnight. You know, it's just absolutely wild. And even when you're in it, it's too big to fathom. It's just so huge and so uncontrolled.
0: And how far, I mean, how far, like to give to give people a sense of this room, how far did you guys actually paddle?
1: So we paddled 1,000 kilometers. Okay. Yep. Out of a 4,400 kilometer river. And in our early dreams, we were like, we're going to paddle this whole thing. It's going to be awesome. And then as reality set in and we started hearing about the requirements for bribe money and the corruption and lots of guns involved and different things, we were like, well, Maybe that's not, a, not the point, first of all. And then we really don't have 50 grand in bribe money, so I guess we're going to take a train around the middle section. <laughs> so awesome. we, had, we had some of those experiences anyways. But, yeah, we ended up paddling, so 500 kilometers in the front end and then 500 kilometers in the back end. And actually, we planned to paddle 1,000 kilometers to the ocean, um, but we decided to take off early.
0: When, when you have space between this trip and obviously it was a year ago and there's you developing it but like 10 years from now 20 years from now do you think that there's gonna be moments on that trip that stand out for you that are just like burned or etched into your memory Um, you know if you could share one of those for us that would be incredible
1: yeah there are there are a few there's like there definitely are a few that will be with me forever I think um one of them was waking up really early in the morning on the lower section in Russia. And it's so big. There's like big horizon lines. You feel like you're in the ocean. There's shores, but it's just horizon line as far as you can see. And it's so big. It's just I can't even explain how big it feels there. At least it did for me. And I woke up and there was all this fog on the water and there's like a beautiful sunrise, there's all this light and Crystal was like, Oh my gosh, we have to get in our boats because she's a photographer. So she was like all excited. We're like throwing, you know, throwing everything in our boats, like rushing. We're like, Crystal's like, come on, come on. You know, she's cracking the whip and we're like trying to get in our kayaks and we get out on the water and there's just like that breeze and the wind and you, suddenly realize like how small you are, just how little bitty you are, and how big the world is and how completely connected all of it is. And that was like, the, that moment will stick with me forever. And to know that the p- water I was paddling on, 500 kilometers from the ocean, was part of that water was from the beautiful places we had been upstream in Mongolia, that kind of connection is nothing I'd ever experienced in my life before.
0: So I mean, I, I'm not I'm not a boater, mm-hmm. um, or I've tried a few times and it's terrified me. Um, I should put it that way. Uh, so I, I guess you know, from from, I mean, in, in climbing, a lot of times, like when you do a new route, it's pretty incredible. You can sense that it's very different from from having been on a route that was put up forty years ago, say, where there's piton scars and there's been an impact on it, and. Does it actually feel different to be in the water on a free-flowing river? I mean, you mentioned the size, but like, mm-hmm. can you actually sense that? Uh, you know, as
1: as a boater, for me, I think it's more of the experience. Like, it's it's not to get too woo-woo on you guys right off the bat, but um, it's uh, it's very. You can feel the difference. It's like it's like being in a pristine place. They they feel special, um, and it definitely felt like that there. So there's a few like cues you can pick up on when you're, you know, you've been boating for a long time if, uh, you know, like you can see where the natural flood cycles have happened and all these different things and you can kind of cue in that it's probably a free-flowing river, but um, I think for me, more than anything, it's sort of a felt experience.
0: Um, How many, like, give us a sense for like, abroad, how many rivers out there, if you're a kayaker, would you look at and say, that's a free-flowing river, I wanna go do that, are there like a big five or, um, you know what? Can you give me a sense of that?
1: Yeah, there's really only a few the size of the Amur. I, th- I think four. There's two in the Amazon basin, and then there's the Amur, and then the um, I'm forgetting the name of it right now. Another river in that same part of far eastern Russia, and that's those are really the only ones left of that size. Um, more than sixty percent of the world's. Larger riv- rivers are dammed currently and that's happening at an increasing ri- rate. You know, as we're taking out dams, um, countries like China and Russia are full speed ahead. Um, but our leadership is definitely shifting that internationally and maybe we'll continue to.
0: Um, we talked about, when we've chatted in the past, we've talked a little bit about um, going having experience like that and coming back to the states where, where a lot of our rivers are controlled and managed and the water flows are, you know, watched all the time and you know, if you're a boater, you know it. You sit there and you look at your web page. Does it kind of take away from the experience a little bit to come back to the U.S. or not so much? Like, I'm curious to know.
1: That's an interesting question. Um, I think that's what I'll probably keep answering, you know. In the year that I got, when we got back, it definitely was like a really quiet time for me after just paddling so hard and putting myself out there so much. It's been a really quiet year of just like taking stock and sort of being with that experience. But um, I think it just makes me more grateful for the people who are out there making changes in our watersheds right now. There's so many people in this room alone that I know have just worked so hard to make, to continue to protect our rivers. So I think it makes me grateful more than anything for that. And it makes me hopeful. Um, To know that that exists and to know that other people cherish it, too. I'm just really hopeful
0: in your mind Was this a successful? Expedition, you know, I mean like like when you walk away from from this trip um, you know, like did you feel like you guys Got what you came for when you went out to Mongolia?
1: Yeah, you know, it's an interesting thing defining success for ourselves, right? You like, I think I've struggled with this a lot in my life and um, and this trip in particular has really forced me to continue defining success as, as getting out of my comfort zone and trying really hard um, and transforming in the process and just like being open to whatever comes my way. And I think with that definition of success, absolutely. Uh, you know, initially we went to we went we wanted to go there to see a free-flowing river but i think in the end so many of these trips for me are about the internal journey it's about how i get to transform in the process and how the people around me transform and so that was so powerful on this trip for me and um that you know the physical objectives at some point just quit mattering for me um with this trip in particular there was so much going on as you guys all find out in the film Surrounding it, and that stuff just melted away. And it's really easy. It was really easy to get caught up in that at times. And then, you know, especially in hindsight, looking back, it's, just, it's just not mm-hmm. consequential for me at all.
0: Does that? Does it? You know, that kind of trip. Does it leave you wanting more of that kind of trip? Like, do you have any other big plans?
1: I want to go back to Mongolia. Yeah, I think I will. Um, I. I don't know. I always say never and then you know you're proven wrong. But th- I don't know that I would paddle the lower armor. I'm really glad that I did it. I'm really, really glad and really grateful for that experience. But um but I don't know that I would do it again. It was like pure misery. And that's why I'm a boater. Like I'm not a mountaineer. Like you guys who like go do that, that stuff looks really uncomfortable. Like I'm a boater. Like we bring like beer on our rafts and you know, like it's we have fun. We bring costumes. Like you know, it's it's not that serious, really. So, so for me, I was like, I don't know if I want to be this miserable again. But, but Mongolia, I would absolutely do again. Yeah, I would cool. absolutely do it again.
2: Awesome.
0: Well, thank you, awesome. Amber, so much. We're all really excited to see your movie tonight. So, let's everyone give uh, Amber a big round of applause. Our next guest was Katie Lee. She's difficult to summarize and more of a force to behold. A force of nature, actually. She's poignant, feisty, and filled with a wisdom that comes from knowing what it's like to fight for and lose a place that one loves dearly. After beginning a career as an actress, Katie left Hollywood to sing in coffee houses and cabarets throughout North America. And the catalyst for that move? It was her first trip through the Grand Canyon. She returned to Hollywood and found she just could not bear to be around so many fake people. But it was the lesser-known Glen Canyon that she would develop a powerful relationship with. She made regular trips down it. She explored the complex of canyons and gratas before the completion of Powell Dam and Lake Powell, inundated this national treasure in 1963. The flooding was a pivotal moment in Katie's life. Glen Canyon had been her cherished place, almost like loving somebody. And from then on, she used her voice to write songs and books about the West and became an activist for the environment. A note to listeners, usually we bleep out and edit inappropriate language. With Katie, it's part of her character and passion. And at 94, we figure she's more than earned the right to say it how she sees it. So you have um, been an entertainer, an activist, and uh, I mean, um, just a lover. Of Mother Earth. I mean, it just—it's my
2: mother. You bet.
0: Yeah, C- tell me about like I—I I never got to see Glen Canyon, and can you I'm just describe sad it to for us? everybody
2: in this room? Because you kids who are <clears throat> are now starting to feel and to know because we didn't have enough people who knew that the Earth was being trashed, and now that you know. And you are able to do something. Get off your asses and, and make a difference. Because those few of us who tried, and, and we did try really very hard, but there weren't enough of us. And there wasn't enough of the rest of, the huma- of humanity who understood what was happening to this globe that we live on. They just didn't get the message at all. And those few people who came to our shows or or our protest rallies and things like that, maybe one out of a hundred would understand it. Now I think the ratio is much larger, much larger. And for that I am eternally grateful. I think it's gonna be a lot different from now on. I have hope for, for Mother Earth and I have hope for you guys being able to to have a say, to do something over the politicians' desires or non-desires, whatever those assholes are trying to do or say. I think that you'll get in their hair, in their way. And um, for that, I, I just I just smile because I look at you and I know you're going to do it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> do, you, do you think everybody, I mean, you, you had Glen Canyon. Do you think everybody um, in this room, you know, this generation that you're talking about, do you think we need to find our own Glen Canyon, that place that, that speaks to you, that yeah, says hi. you belong here?
2: You must follow your heart. I was an actress in Hollywood for nine, ten years. And I, uh, the minute I ran the Canyon, I was gone from Hollywood in three months. So that is what got me out. The Canyon got me out of the entertainment where the world is totally phony. And the people in it are never themselves to where I was on the boat and in the world where I could feel nature, touch it all day, night, and night, sleep on it, row with it, row against it, know it, talk to it, and have it talk back. And I mean when a place talks back to you, that's your place. And you'll know it right away. Be careful. Be very careful. You'll want to show that to somebody that you care for. You will. That's human nature. You want to share the beauty and the things that turn you on. But if you do it too much, that person will tell the next person, that person will tell that person, that person, that person, and pretty soon your place will be gone. I was so lucky. I know how lucky I was. And I know that you all can't be that lucky. But I came in the middle of a time when there was nobody there except us, the people, three or four of us, who went down the canyon alone together. And then I had another friend who has been down there before me, and he said, Katie, go alone. It's not the same. And I said, what do you mean? It's not the same. I said, what's the difference? He said, you'll find out. So I went alone, and it was very different. <laughs> I can't explain how different. I just know that, uh, that I could lie down against the rock, I could lick the rock, I could embrace the rock and the water and, and trail my hand in the river when I'm going to sleep. I could do all these things that I could have done, uh, that I did do, actually, with two other, three other people. But it wasn't the same, it wasn't the same. So to, to, to really do it, go alone, whoever you are and wherever you want to go, that, that you want to see a place and you want to see a place and feel a place and have it talk back to you. Can you share, I mean, I'm curious, like what, what did it say to you? Like, Well, it turned out to be, Almost my lover, because um, it, and I, I, I don't I, I love people, yes, a few, damn few. <laughs> but you you feel like that place is just more than human, absolutely more than human. and especially you're in that red rock country, that country of sandstone that just humps and bumps and boobs and penises and um, <laughs> all kinds of wonderful formations, and you get into that and you can find routes up th- through that stuff. You know, we figured that the native, the indigenous, the people that were there a thousand years before us never used the river as a corridor, but only if you'd get up on the caps, you could see trails through that, clear across the top of this one, down into that one, up in this one. And we'd go in these canyons they call slot canyons, and I hate that because slots are in Las Vegas. They're fluted canyons. And you could see if if the sun would move a couple inches, you know, or a few feet this way or that way, we'd be walking in these crevices and we'd see these little tiny indentations going up. And you knew that... They came down or up these trails, and then you'd look the other side and it wouldn't be there. So you'd go up a ways, or back a ways, and sure enough, up the other side. There'd be these shadows. You could hardly see them because they'd been eroded away over all these years. But they traversed the top.
0: So these were like ladders that had actually sort of been carved into the stone?
2: They were just, we called them monkey steps, mm-hmm. and uh, made by the Anasazis, you know, During the time when there were all these ruins in there that were have been drowned, probably something like five thousand of them, of places that people lived, and that's all underwater now under Glen Canyon, goddamn. And I, uh, it'll, you know, Mother Nature's going to rattle that place one day, and it's all there. The river'll come back. I'm not worried about that, not even slightly. The only thing we can do is just make it happen faster. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Did you have you have you ever gone back? Like, have you ever no. taken a houseboat? I mean, have you ever even driven up to Page since it? That got I may muddy? vomit.
2: No, no, you couldn't pay me to go back on that reservoir. That's not a lake, Lake Powell. Give me a break. It's Reservoir Powell. And I no, I've never gone down the Grand Canyon since then either. I ran the Grand in 1954 when it was a river and the right color. And uh, I've only run the Grand three times, once in a big powerboat, the first ones that ever went down commercially in 1954. And then in, in late that year, I went back up. I was taken back up to Glen and the way I got on the river in the first place out of Hollywood is my friend Tad showed me that movie that he had taken the year before with the power boats and I just said Jesus I have got to get there but it was 500 for the upper half it was 500 for the lower and I just knew I couldn't hack that and then he he told me one night and called me one night and said I could go for my food if I'd bring my guitar and sing to the people on the beach at night. So that's how I got there. And that's why I left Hollywood that year. I just—I know that you, you come to crossroads in your life. And if you don't guide your own self, or you just let something floppily happen, you're going to be sorry. You have to steer yourself. I mean, life is just wonderful, and it's full of opportunities. But you as a person have got to make the decisions. And you can't just float along and let this go that way and that go this way and somebody else to cart your body there and somebody else to push you there. You got to make a decision. When you hit that spot, those places where there are maybe five to two or 10 decisions to be made, you're the one that has to do it. Could you, I have a question.
0: And I don't know, I did. this is completely coming out of left field. We did not talk about this, but could you sing one of the songs that you wrote about the river?
2: I can't sing Come to Jesus in whole notes anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and it's pretty awful, you know. It really is. Last night, <laughs> last night I lay in a restless bed, a humdrum life pounding in my head. When out of the night came a mighty roar, the river calling me back once more. My heart knows what the river knows. I gotta go where the river goes. Restless river, wild and free, the lonely ones are you and me.
1: There's
0: on my you can see and hear more from Katie Lee in the award-winning Let's Damnation. Go. It's screening at film festivals, local cinemas, and Patagonia stores around the country. Or you can watch it at home beginning June 6th on Vimeo. Amber Valenti starred in, wrote, and produced Nobody's River, which won the Spirit of Adventure Award at Five Point. It will be at mountain and adventure film festivals throughout the next year and available for purchase online later this year. We will post links to both films on our website, Dirtbagdiaries.com. Thanks to Patagonia for creating a place to gather around and hear stories. Whether it's over a campfire, over radio waves, or in a darkened theater, sharing stories is at the heart of our community. We are so honored to be able to tell some of them. Thanks for supporting the creative endeavors like the Diaries and Five Point. Thanks to Steve of Steve's Guitar for opening up his venue early and letting us get some creativity cranking. And a big shout out to Sarah, Julie, and the whole Five Point crew for being the reason that we gather as a community each year and make the live diaries happen. We are ready for another year. Additional support comes from Kuat Racks, makers of a better bike rack. See their full lineup at kuatracks.com. And from Chaco Footwear, fit for adventure. Find your fit at chacos.com. Music today by John Barry and Denise Casey who are fans of the Diaries and were kind enough to share their music with us. Thank you so much. We hope you can make it out to Carbondale in 2015 for our event and the Five Point Film Festival. I'm Hall, and you've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries.
2: My insecure escape is now frozen in the past While I don't know how to love you I know that that won't last.
0: Trust my weakness.
2: It's a gamble, but I'm holding triple queens. Nice, be
0: clean.